0: June, equanimity. Equanimity has never been my strong suit. As far back as I can remember, I was labeled oversensitive. I wonder if I was born that way, or whether it was a result of living with alcoholism, neglect, violence, suicide. Whatever the cause, I have never been the steadiest peanut in the pack. I am easily tumbled around by the vicissitudes of living, So the cultivation of a calm and steady mind is imperative for me. Suffering has been defined as the mind unable to accommodate its experience. However, it isn't usually the experience that is the problem, it's our relationship to it. When I add anxiety and fear to my moments, worrying about something that has already happened or catastrophizing about what might happen, I add a double whammy of suffering. If I stick with what is actually happening, the moment is bearable. When I accept the real without avoidance, I discover a bedrock of ease and grace. As Zen teacher Glenn Wallace reminds his students, stay current. It takes effort to do this because old patterns are deeply ingrained. It means being mindful of what is happening right now, accepting it and abandoning unhelpful thinking over and over from now until forever. I have found that if I stay in my body, focusing on something obvious, like the sensation of my feet on the ground, even when bad news strikes, the moment becomes bearable. Lately, when I get home for the day, I have a hot shower, put on my creative loungewear, also known as pajamas. Then I lie down on my bed, relaxing my body and silently reciting equanimity phrases. May I stand steady in the face of difficulty. May I be at ease in the flow of life. Finding phrases that feel right and varying them when they feel stale keeps this practice alive. This is just the way things are for now. Peacefully, I meet the changing moment. I really look forward to this daily practice now. It's a treat. Relaxing like this brings composure and enhances my ability to live with good cheer. I still have to deal with the end of my partnership, the challenges of aging and the horrors of world politics, but I'm able to do so with more equanimity. Equanimity isn't coldness. It is not indifference. It includes whatever is occurring and takes an interest in it. Equanimity is grace in the face of difficulty. It means not requiring things to be otherwise. It is a state of mind to be cultivated in order to deal more wisely with whatever happens next. May I be a wise old tree standing steady in the midst of my sorrow, my fear, my heartache. May I be, as Zen practice suggests, a lotus at home in the muddy water.
1: Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. My name's Greg Dobbs. Today I'm talking with Bridget Lowry about her new book, A Year of Loving Kindness to Myself and Other Essays. It's published by Fremantle Press. Bridget Lowry, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: Bridget, you're a student of Zen and you've lived in a Buddhist community. What have those experiences brought to the ideas expressed in this book?
0: Well, probably hugely important. I'm not, interestingly, I'm not only a Zen student. I'm like as if I was a Quaker and a Catholic. So Zen is one Buddhist path. I'm also a Theravada insight student. And so when I first got into Buddhist meditation way back, like 40 years ago, I went and lived in this Theravada Buddhist community, got married, had a kid. And then when I ended up in Perth, I got into that tradition. So long story short, the Buddhist ideas and philosophy religion are just a bedrock for me. They're something that I'm totally interested in and, a major part of my life and what interests me so definitely they feed into the book like in a major way so the things that the buddha taught loving kindness compassion equanimity forgiveness these are like the cornerstones of what's in the book there's three threads in a way there's buddhist ideas there's um personal growth and psychology and then there's a bit of random humor those those are what i call the three main threads in my book
1: So what was your intention in writing A Year of Loving Kindness to Myself? How do you want or how do you advise people to read it?
0: Um, Well, they're two very separate questions. My intention was um, I didn't actually set out to write that book with that title. I set out to write a series of essays that all began with On and I began to do that and I had a few and Fremantle Press were interested and then I had a major life event which was basically my beautiful niece died in New Zealand. We, we knew she would die. She had five years with brain cancer, but I went back and it was the most beautiful time to be with her as she died and farewell her. And then when I came back, not because I was paralyzed with grief, I just sort of came to a bit of a stop on the book and lovely Fremantle Press people read it and they suggested that I go in this love and kindness direction because I was sort of halfway through going, I don't think I have any more essays on on. What should I do? And that's how that came to pass. They always say that once a book goes out into the world, it's gone. I have no idea who's going to read it, what they're going to think. One of my people on the back, he said, oh, a little dose at bedtime. But other people have said, I just picked it up and read it right through to the end. So the book now has its own life. And um. Oh, just a lovely friend of mine bought a copy for her son who happens to live in Brazil. He's probably a man of about 40 and he's reading it on the train and loving it. And he also said um, he likes the fact that it's a bit grunty because it means that I'm not being like, oh, I know everything about everything. So it really met him in that way. But another friend of mine, a Buddhist friend, sort of said slightly, I don't know how you'd say, but she sort of said, you've been pretty disclosive, haven't you? So obviously there was something in there where she thought, "Uh uh-oh, you know, it just didn't quite strike her. She wasn't criticising, but I could just tell that she is a much more private person and I'd put out a bit too much personal information. So people read the book however they want to and find whatever they want in there. And, yeah, that's not up to me anymore.
1: Well, honesty is certainly a good thing. And that's something you touch on in one of your chapters. But just talking about the structure of the book for a minute, you've divided into months, and then there's a particular sensitivity to the seasons. Why did you choose to structure a year of loving kindness to myself in that way?
0: Well, writers are always keen for a structure. And the idea that if you only had a year to live, how would you live it is, is a good idea. There's a, a particular person in America who actually has now died but that was something that he and his partner suggested and so there's that's sort of already an idea what would we do with the year and the seasonal thing is actually very zen because as you may know in haiku there's usually a seasonal reference there's the withered plum tree which is a metaphor for winter so it was just like wow yeah that would work and um, of course it wasn't exactly like that I didn't go right it's March I'm only going to work on anxiety but loosely it seemed like an accessible format
1: you've touched on a few of the subjects already honesty was one humor was another one that comes through but one of the first ones and one of the ones you mentioned at the beginning of our chat was kindness and particularly as the title suggests kindness to oneself what constitutes kindness to oneself because a lot of people really don't know how to apply that
0: no true and that is very very sad but um it's, it's said to be true that most Westerners we're very bad at it. We're, we can try to be kind to others, but we're not terrifically kind to ourselves. And so this is something I I believe that everyone could have a good red hot go at. And again, it will be very individual. Like for some people watching more funny television is good medicine. For some people to stop watching television all day and go for a walk is a better medicine. So the recipe or the formula of how to be kind to oneself. One thing that probably most psychologists would agree with is um, self-talk, how we talk to ourselves. Just a a very small example. The other day, my granddaughter's 7th birthday, lovely afternoon tea. I had a heavy metal water bottle. I dropped it right on my foot when I was coming into the house with an arm full of stuff. It was so painful. I said a rude word in front of small children. But did I say to myself, which is what I'd say to you if you just injured your toe and thought it was broken, oh, you poor sweetie, sit down, I'll get some arnica, do you need a panadol, cup of tea? Yes, you will be fine, you will be able to go to the Margaret River Writers Festival. No, I said to myself, you swear word, swear word, idiot. You knew, okay, I immediately began to growl at myself for having done this thing. There was no kind of, so that's one example of where cognitive behavioural work? How do we talk to ourselves? What do we give ourselves a frightening message or an encouraging message? That to me is like anyone could do that. They could go, what sort of things do I tell myself? You know, when I wake up in the morning, do I go, hello, I love me. I'm probably going to have a good day. No, not necessarily. Like a lot of people wake up and they think of everything that might go wrong. So it's an ongoing sort of personal quest in a way to go, What do I need? You know, is it more rest or more exercise? Is it more chocolate or less chocolate?
1: Actually, I had a little talk to myself this morning.
0: I think it helped. (laughs) Good. Good man. Gold star.
1: Another thing that comes up quite often, and it's a really important one too, is honesty. Being honest, particularly with oneself, it's not necessarily an easy thing to do either. Why is that so difficult? And I guess we're probably more adept at fooling ourselves than being honest.
0: Yes, and part of it I think comes um, this cultural. We have some cultural expectations that people shouldn't be angry and people should la 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 and but often the reality is different. often we are angry and we do wish to say to someone something dreadful. So most people are juggling in their own psyche those sorts of things. and in the spiritual world, it's called spiritual bypassing. If you're actually furious with someone and you pretend to yourself or them that, you're shining and radiating, you know, white light of kindness. This is not true. And the first thing is to what's really happening for me, what's really going on. And sometimes we don't want to admit it. We might have shame or we might have grief or we might feel we're overwhelmed or we need to get out of a relationship or we don't want to be as lonely as we are, whatever. Everyone's got things that they're dealing with. You know, the grief around an aging parent is a good example. And then we have to look at, how to act you know what's skillful to do in regards to that and sometimes it might mean talking to someone about something sometimes it might be as my zen teacher said immediately do nothing as you know if you want to go and talk to someone just probably not yet you know like bide your time until you're in a good space that you could talk to them in a reasonable way and so yeah i think first fold be real about your own emotions and second fold trying to figure out what's appropriate in the wider world.
1: I think that's a really good piece of advice. Immediately do nothing. Yes. And it leads me to the next question, which is connected to that. Where is the line or is there a line between being tactless and being honest when dealing with friends or just people in general?
0: Well, yeah, again, you've got to make your own line there. Usually I would err on the side of if you can't say anything, I say nothing. Yeah, I found myself at the wise old age of 68, if you're not getting on well with someone, usually better to keep your mouth shut. A lot of times people want to do a lot of processing, but usually if you give it three months, the problem is gone.
1: More good advice.
0: Yes, yeah, sage advice. I just read this morning that a really good way to wreck a marriage or a personal relationship is to just complain all the time about that person. And in the end, they'll go, well, fine, but I'm out of here like, To keep a positive attitude is a a wise thing. And also, I think it was Rumi's, I think it's in the book, saying act as if the world is rigged in your favour. Like put out the positive energy. You know, go for the the best, not go for the... Following a year
1: of loving kindness to myself is a section titled Other Essays. And one in particular called On Gratitude and Joy is concerned with exactly what we've been talking about, positive mind states. What's your advice for creating or developing that sense?
0: Well, I think it's incredibly important. Apparently, even in neurobiology, there are measurable pathways in the brain if you're thinking negatively all the time, whereas if you're thinking positively and there's different chemicals going on there. So it's measurable. It's not just like hippie woo-woo, like think positive and be nice and all of that. Most people struggle. So one of the points in my book is that there is human suffering. We cannot get out of that. People die. We're here for a limited time. We're in a COVID crisis, this ecological crisis. There's all sorts of other personal things. You know, life isn't just one joyous little picnic full of pink kittens. However, there's beauty. There's beauty and wonder and little children and gardens and friendship and cats and dogs and good people doing good things. And so for those of us who have a tendency to melancholy or negativity, you really have to work that one. And so that's why things like gratitude journals, like sitting down every night, even if you've had a really bad day, you go, but what went right? There will always be something that went right. You know, my breakfast tasted good. That's, you know, I I live in a place where no one's shooting me. I'm able to dry my washing in the sun, whatever. Train your mind to go down that positive neural pathway if you possibly can, because why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you try and feel better about this life? And the Because most of us, including, I think, you and I and everyone who will be listening to this, we're in the privileged 1%. We have running water, we have medicine, we have health care, we have houses we're not being shot at. Kiss the ground every day. My friend came back from India. He wrote a haiku. He said, home from India, I kiss the water tap. We take it all for granted, but there's so much that we can be grateful for, and, um, and you feel a lot better when you do that. Not just running water, running hot water. Running hot water, absolutely.
1: There's another chapter, the final chapter in the book, called Things Not Written About. A couple of those jumped out at me. Ancient mistakes and the next bit. I Why guess. not write about those?
0: Yeah, true. Well, funny that you mentioned that, because that little piece, I think it might be called what they call in the writing world, a darling, because they often say kill your darling. So that was a little thing that I wrote as a fragment. I loved it. And maybe my editor thought, "Mm, does this really belong in the book? And I always put in the next bit because we can't specifically see the next bit. But I really wished I, I was sort of tidying it up in the end and taking a few things out and putting a few things in. And I don't know why I put in the third Reich. It was just like, what's something I haven't written about? Like kind of that sticks out to me. And writers will do this with agonising. I go, oh, that's a bit funny. But the other one about ancient mistakes, I think I've put in enough about my ancient mistakes. I think you really don't need to hear too much more about them.
1: On that note, Bridget, I'd like to thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast.
0: Thanks, thanks so much for having
1: me. I've been talking to Bridget Larry about her new book, A Year of Loving Kindness to Myself and Other Essays. It's published by Fremantle Press and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au and all good bookstores. My name's Greg Dobbs and thanks for listening. <music> Subscribe to Good Reading print and online magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.